But uh, I was able to push through that today. I think I'm on now. That's good. Uh, just wanted to really welcome you to Church in the Valley today, and we're really glad that you decided to spend some time with us here this morning. Uh, my name, my name is Jeep Underwood, and I'm going to be speaking today. We're going to be looking at some ideas about how do you grow a life of 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 joy. And uh, so I wanted. We're going to be spending some time on that. We're, uh, you know, joy is a big category for for all of us. You know, we all really have a desire to be happy. We all have a desire to to have happy events happen in our lives. We was something we really desire to have. I know I do. And we one thing we. We really look for things and get involved in things that we think will really give us those happy feelings and those happy experiences. Um, in fact, we really pursue those kinds of experiences. Like, you know, I love going to the mountains. Well, you know, you might run to the mountains so you can experience that. You might love to go camping. You might, you might love to go to this little place called Disneyland. Um, you know, it's actually a place that's actually designed trying to, just trying to have, help people have happy feelings. That's what it's designed around. Now, you know, it's very popular. Disneyland is very popular, and uh, it's a whole lot of fun. We really like to take our kids every two or three years. We we try to get to Disneyland, but uh, they have a new addition coming up. Anybody know what that is? Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, someone's like, please, Star Trek. No, um, they haven't bought that one yet. I don't think. But uh, but uh, so there's Star Wars Land. I think it's called Galaxy Edge, which sounds like a Samsung phone. So I'm not sure, but. Uh, but they're, they're probably sponsoring it. I, I bet you anything. But anyway, um, but they have this new Star Wars area, and they, what they wanted to do is they, they're trying to make it to where you're actually like in the movies, like it's a completely immersive experience, I guess. In fact, if you look up on the screen, I want to show you. A, here's a picture. Here's a picture of what it looks like. This is actually a real picture, and uh, this is, uh, you know, I, just being able to uh, be on the Millennium Falcon, to me, that just looks like a whole lot of fun. And, uh, you know, there, you know, you read up on it, you know, you, there's really not a lot of information out there right now, but I think if I, if I read this right, there's only going to be one ride. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, one ride? But it's like 28 minutes long. They, they, the, right now, the rumors are it's going to be like 28 minutes long. It's going to be a fully immersive experience of some kind. And it sounds pretty cool. But, you know, uh, the first thing I thought of when I heard of this one ride and 28 minutes long was, how long will the line be for that thing? I mean, it's like all of a sudden, you know, it's like my joy began to diminish. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and so, you know, I, it reminded me of, I remember being on the Jungle, the Jungle Book cruise, uh, years ago. And they always have like the, the, the guy who makes jokes and they're funny sometimes. And, we come back in and the guy goes, you know what? Uh, welcome back to the happiest place on earth, Disneyland. He said, unless you wanted short lines and cheap food because that ain't going to happen. <laughs> I thought, well, that, that's true. And he was right. It, didn't, it did not happen. And so, you know, when you think about lines, so I, I, I you know, looked at a couple articles and they expect that the line for this new ride would be hours long. Like, whoa. <clears throat> in fact, initially they think maybe even six hours. So you like going there six hours, like I dropped 120 to be in here and I'm going to stand in line for six hours. Um, they're even, they're talking now like, uh, they're going to do like bathroom passes so you can keep your space in line. So you, I mean, I just, I mean, there's all kinds of problems that causes. So, you know, when I mentioned Star Wars before, there was probably a lot of happiness in the crowd and now the happiness has diminished for all of us. But you now that's the thing about happiness is 
you know, you, you pursue something that you think is going to make you happy. And then it's when you get it, sometimes it's just not as satisfying as you thought it would be. Or uh, it just doesn't last. You know, it's just, you know, Disneyland, it's only one day long. But there's just, there's things about that where the things we pursue just don't really last. And in the, so in the midst, and also in the midst of this quest for happiness, this uh, desire to have happiness, um, life is really complicated and we're trying to figure it out all along the way as well. So we're trying to figure out life and, when, what, and how you actually live it. And we begin to wonder things. And I think in those quiet moments when we begin to really wonder, some of the things we wonder is, how do you know that you're on a good path in life? How do you know you're on a good path in life? And then another question I think we can really wonder is, how do you know that things will go well with you ultimately? How do you know things will really go well with you ultimately? Now, as we, as we work on those questions, the truth is, is that we all have a frame of reference that we look at the world through. Uh, it's, we all have this frame of reference that we, we try to make sense of what's going on in the world. And the frame doesn't really provide all the answers, but it helps us make sense out of life to some extent for us. And it helps us make some decisions that make sense to us. So it's just a, way, a frame of reference to be able to really understand or have some kind of handle on what's going on in the world. And it's really, this frame of reference is really how we determine what's right in our eyes, like what's right and what's wrong. And when our eyes, what's just and unjust and, and also what's important and unimportant, what's fair and unfair. And you get around people, you realize that a lot of people have different ideas in all those categories. And a lot of, and it's all tied back to this frame of reference that we have for looking at the world. And that frame of reference, it also determines like just what we believe in. It determines really our behavior and the decisions that we make. It also determines what we feel we can hope for in the future, what we feel we can hope for in the future. And it, so to that end, it really impacts our sense of joy in life is this framework that we look at life through. Right now, I want to look at uh, some a couple of definitions of joy. Uh, in fact, guys, I think I might have the wrong... Uh, I think I have the wrong uh, uh, PowerPoint, so you guys got it? All right, thanks. So I have a talk here and a talk there. I'm going to give that one if that's okay with you guys. Um, hey, uh, so the definition of joy from Merriam-Webster is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And then uh, Dallas Willard has... He has a he has a definition that's in his book called Renovation of the Heart, which I strongly would recommend. It's a great book. Uh, but he says that joy is a pervasive sense of well-being, of overall and ultimate well-being. And this idea that of being well-being, that's that's really it's a deep joy that we have when we really when we really feel that we're on a good path in life and that ultimately things will go well with us. And that well-being is really what we want to talk about here today and that and that sense of well-being that we're that we're talking about is really tied to your frame of reference it's really important it's really important that your frame of reference really lines up with how reality really works the way you think life works if that lines up with how life works then that really helps you know uh let's take a there's an image up on the screen uh that's going to be the of the grand canyon that's pretty cool. I took, we took our family here a few years ago, and it's a lot of fun. It gets a little nerve-wracking when you have little kids, though, because uh, their frame of reference is a little different than, than yours. But here, one thing you'll notice in this picture is everyone in that picture has the same frame of reference about which side of the handrail to be on. 
You know, like you don't see you don't see anybody like hanging on the outside walking around. Although when I was there, we did see some guys go crazy. But you know, when you have the right frame of when you have the wrong frame of reference, if you think uh, if if you have the frame of reference like, hey, I think I'm on the wrong side of the handrail, and you jumped over it, you're in a dangerous place. You're being in a very dangerous place. So it's very very important that our frame of reference really line up with the way life really works. Otherwise, you know, if if it's not, then you can really wind up on the wrong side of some really critical aspects of life. You can really wind up on the wrong side of things. Now, the amazing truth, the amazing truth this morning is that God really wants to really help us have the right framework for life. He really wants us to really have a sense of well-being. He wants to help us with that. Uh, in fact, there was a time when, when God spoke to the nation of Israel, he had been working with them for years and years. And some people were listening to God and following him, but as a nation, they just ignored him. And they wound up in some places that God really didn't, he didn't really wish for them to wind up. And this is what God said to them in Isaiah chapter 48. He said, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way which you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the ways of the sea. You know, the picture that he paints is just this never-ending sense of well-being that God really desired for us. And it's found in really just paying attention to him because he's really, he's really trying to direct us and help us to understand how life really works. And that God, you know, one thing you see there is that God really wants our lives to turn out well. And that he really wants to lead us in the right path. And that result of that is really just well-being in our lives. And that's really the, the, the sense of joy that we really want. So how do, you, how do you grow in a life of joy? You know, as you, navigate our li- as you navigate our lives making decisions, how do we grow in a life of joy? I'm going to go through an acrostic today and just, uh, just on the word joy. But... I just want to, these are just some thoughts. This is a huge subject that I just asked, but I just want to go just a few thoughts, something that we can look at this morning. The first thing is just Jesus. If you want to grow in a life of joy, just fixing our eyes on him. Uh, East, like John was saying earlier, Easter's next week. I'm pretty excited about that around here and really looking forward to that. Every, but every year, I mentioned this last week, every year as I get close to Easter, there's a couple of verses that come to my mind and I begin just kind of ruminating and thinking about how was it that Jesus was able to really endure the, the, just the hardship that he faced to go through the cross for us. How did he do that? Last week we looked at first Peter. This week I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. It says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus endure the cross? It was for the joy set before him. And you know what was what were some of the components? Really, what was that joy? I think one thing, it says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think one thing for Jesus is one of the elements of his joy was that he knew he was going to be back in the very closest relationship with his father. He knew he was going to be writing in God's very, very presence. And that was something that brought him a lot of joy. And then I also think that he really looked at just the path that he was going to be creating so that the rest of us could really enjoy that relationship with him as well. I think, I think that it was that picture of us 
painting that, paving that path for us to really be able to know God, satisfying God's justice so we could do that. That was the joy that was really set before him. And as he did that, part of his joy too is Jesus had this, he had a perfect frame of reference for how life works. Uh, namely because everything was created through him. He created reality. So if anyone would know how reality works, it would be Jesus. And so he has this perfect frame of reference for how the world really works. Now we look at life and it just looks confusing. But he looks at it, he sees it exactly what's going on and exactly what things look like. I want, to, I want us to take a look at a clip real quick. Um, not a movie this time, so sorry, I'm not going to be plugging any movies today. But there's a clip of, it's a clip of, uh, of an artist who puts together these art pieces where they just take regular items. And they arrange them in such a way and they, and they create in such a way where from most vantage points it just looks like a pile of stuff. But when you get one look at it, then when a person's exactly the right angle on it, you can really see. So I want to take a look at that this morning and then we'll, we'll, we'll continue. And there's no sound on this clip. Kind of looks like my garage. That's pretty wild. Actually, I almost got a little creepy there for a minute, but, uh, but, you know, that's, you know, just, uh, if you look at that exactly the right way, it makes sense. And the, the, the thing with Jesus is he, he knows exactly how life works and he knows the right angle on everything. And so spending time with him, we really learned that. Now, the verse right before, uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 2, the very last phrase that it says, that we're to run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. We run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have a race to run. We have a life to live. And he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus is really, is really what we need to do to really have that perspective. And so when we, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we really, we really can have the right frame of reference for life, and we really can have his joy and his sense of well-being that he had. In fact, that was really high on his list. Jesus had a real desire that we would really have his joy. Uh, in fact, the night before he was crucified, he mentioned that very fact three times. Just in the space of the time they were in the upper room, he mentioned that. In fact, I want to look at just a couple of them real quick. In uh, John 15, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And then in John sixteen twenty four, he said, just a few few minutes later, Jesus said, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Now, what does it mean to have full joy? I think it just means there's no room for any more of it. 
he just he wants us just to be completely full of his joy. And what he brings up, just a couple of quick things. He, he says, these things I have spoken to you so that you have joy. And then he says, you haven't asked of me, but ask and you'll receive that you may have joy. And so I think what, one thing that Jesus is really kind of putting together is just conversational relationship with him. He wants us to have this conversational relationship with him where we listen to the things he says. And then we take the things that concern us and we bring those to him. And that that's really the relationship that he desires. And in that relationship, we really find the joy and we find the growth in joy that we really want in life. Because he really has what it is we need. So... So what gets in the way of that? What's, there's, there's probably many, many things. I want to just look at one thing today, and that's just an obstacle, and that is trusting in ourselves. Trusting in ourselves is something that, that, can, really, uh, that can really get in the way of just growing in this life of joy. Um, you know, your sense of well-being is only as good as the, it's only as strong as what you're trusting in. Your sense of well-being is only as strong as what you're trusting in. You know, there were, uh, Several years ago, uh, I went to the dentist. I, everyone loves the dentist, I know. But, you know, for me, honestly, I have to get over a lot of things. And when I go to the dentist, it takes everything I got because I, I just have unrational fears of the dentist. And so I get to the dentist, and I had, they had to get a root canal and a, uh, and a crown. I'm not going to go into details, so be encouraged because um, I have details, but I won't tell you. Uh, but I had this, I had this uh, root canal, and... Another thing about dentists is they're very expensive. And so at the time, I didn't have money to go back to do the crown. And so I had to wait a while. And then I got caught up with a bunch of stuff, and time just got away from me. And I wound up going back to the dentist, made an appointment, and he goes, man, I don't know why you waited so long. We're going to have to pull the tooth. Oh, great. One thing I was thinking of all the money I spent, like, we could have just pulled it the first time I was here. But So he has to, he has to pull the tooth. And so I'm like, okay, I'm dealing with that. <clears throat> and as he, uh, as I'm sitting there, you know, they do x-rays and stuff and the, the assistant comes in, puts them up on the board behind me. I'm sitting there. You just wait forever in the dentist office. And then the dentist finally comes in and he starts talking to his assistant and they're over there looking at the, and they go, he goes, uh, oh, you know, wow, this is going to be a difficult extraction. <laughs> I'm like, my ears perk up. And he goes, uh, boy, you know, if we'd, it's going to be really brittle because of that uh, root canal. We're going to have to uh, we have to have a really good grip, and uh, you know what? If we don't get it all at once, it could break up, and it'll be really hard to get all everything out of there. I'm like, oh gosh, can you guys go talk in the other room? I, 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 I just want to sit here and just think you're competent and you know exactly what you're doing. But uh, and so you know he uh, they uh, they come they they uh, you know get me all ready to go and. The guy gets a hold of you. You can see he gets a hold of the tooth. He's like, he's more nervous than I am. I'm like, oh gosh. <laughs> and then he, he pulls it out. Now, good news is it all came. It all came. And I was like, you know, I was thinking, oh, thank goodness. But I think he was more excited than I was. Um, but you know what? My sense of well-being dissipated dramatically through that experience because I had all my trust in the dentist. <laughs> and so, you know, it really, what you have trust in, it really does, uh, it really is the, the basis for the sense of well-being that you have. Now, when we're in a race of our life and we're, we're in the, the race of life and we're trying to figure things out, it's so easy to get our eyes off Jesus and onto ourselves and onto our own abilities 
And it's just kind of a, it's a knee-jerk reaction, I think, sometimes for us just to look to ourselves. We see a problem, and we kind of divide it by us. And can we handle it? I think it's like Peter, when he was walking on the water, Jesus called him out of the boat. Peter steps on the water. and says, then he saw the wind, and he got frightened. And then he 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 uh, began to sink, and Jesus saved him. Jesus saved him um, because he just got his eyes off Jesus and onto himself and onto the circumstances. And when we do that, when we look to ourselves, when we look at ourselves, we see what we're facing, and we look at ourselves and we know things. We know things like we look back at our sin and our failures in the past. There's things that can just weigh us down. We look back at our sins and our failures. We look back. We can look inward at just our internal struggles and our angst and and we can we can really get caught up in that and forget to really look at Jesus and really uh just to connect with him so that we can really make it through things. And so we have to get our eyes back on Jesus because just knowing that he doesn't leave us and that he really does care about us. It's it brings me back to another story of Peter, uh a little while later when Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Uh, the night that Jesus was crucified. And in the, in the account in the book of Luke, it captures something that, that I, I hadn't seen before. But it says that when the last time that Peter denied Jesus, the rooster crowed, and it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And when he turned and looked at Peter, I just thought, well, that's why Peter wept. Because they both knew that Peter had just denied him. And Peter just must have felt that failure uh, incredibly. And, you know, that's not the story. That's not the end of the story of Peter. One thing you see is after Jesus comes back, uh, and when he comes back from the dead, he raised from the dead, they spend some time on the beach. He and Peter spend some time on the beach. And Peter and Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter each time says, Lord, you know I love you. And he gives, what he does is he restores Peter in his relationship with Peter from Peter's perspective. He just wants Peter to know he really restores him and that he really cares about him. Just keep that in our own minds is that that Jesus doesn't reject us. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't reject me. What he does is he restores us and he wants to move forward into our lives with us. That's what he wants to do. So to get past that obstacle of ourselves, we just need to be continually looking to the greatness and the goodness of Jesus and just pursuing, uh, just fixing our eyes on him. And so the third thing that I wanted, third idea that I wanted to talk about this morning is just yield, is just to continually yield our trust in ourselves and what we think to really place our trust in Jesus and what he thinks, just a continual doing that. Uh, and it's really, it's really about developing a daily dependence on Jesus. It's about developing daily dependence on Jesus and just enjoying Him and His involvement in our lives. That's really, that's really what it's about. And so what does that yielding look like? I think, I think David, I think, uh, David really captured this in his own life and he captured it in the, in the book of Psalm, one of the Psalm 16. He paints a great picture of his own life with God and he says this, He says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. He's he's kind of painting this picture of well-being, but he says that he sets the Lord continually before him. It's something he continually does. 
inviting God into his life uh, and just and just enjoying that closeness with him, inviting them in. And then he says, because we're doing life together, because you're right here with me, he says, I won't be shaken. I won't be taken out by the things I'm facing. And he says, therefore, my heart is glad. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. You know, I, I thought of that. Um, I thought of that phrase, my glory rejoices. I was thinking about it this week and I was just trying to get my hands like, what does that mean? My glory rejoices. And I don't know that I have it fully figured out, but I was, I was in my backyard, uh, early in the morning and there's these wildflowers that are over in the corner of our yard that are just really beautiful. Uh, we didn't plant them. They just kind of showed up and I went over, I went over to them and I, I just, I just was walking. I looked down and went, Oh man, they're dying. They're dead. They were like all closed up. And I'm not a, I'm not a botanist. I'm not a, a plant guy. I don't know anything. And I just went, Oh, they're dying. Oh man. Well, that's, that's too bad. And then later in the day, the sun was out in full force. I walked back out there and those flowers were completely opened up and they were just, just as beautiful as they ever were. I thought, Oh, they're not dead. Oh my gosh. They just have to have the sun shining on them. And I just thought, you know what? When they're in the presence of the sun, they really reach their full potential. When they're in the presence of the sun, it's beautiful. And it's really, they're, they're really, it's really what they're designed to do is it's really beautiful for them. And I thought that's, I think that's what it's like when we're in God's presence is it, it just, uh, it's where we reach our full potential as we just spend time in his presence. And it begins who we are and who we're becoming really gives glory to God. And so actually David goes on a couple of verses later in uh, chapter 16. He says, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. It's really in God's presence that we really have that fullness of joy that we've been talking about. And also just had that right frame of reference. He says, you make known to me the path of life, having that right frame of reference to really make a, really make a difference with our lives and really be who God created us to be. So as I, as I wrap up, as I wrap up this morning, I want to look just a little bit at another gentleman who really connected to God in this way. Um, he, he really embodied what we're discussing today and, you know, David, David lived about 3,000 years ago, but this man lived about 150 years ago. But his name was George Mueller. And I don't have a lot, I don't have a lot of time. I can't develop a lot of his story uh, here this morning. But George Mueller, he was a guy who really trusted God and he lived a life of joy. And he really made a difference in his world. Uh, in fact, I really recommend reading a biography on him. You, he really has a lot to teach us. But he, he became a believer when he was about 20 years old. And he, as he grew and as he began to just really enjoy God himself, he began to really want to do something that could only be explained in terms of God. And he began looking around for needs in his, in his, uh, in his world. And one of the things he, he saw was the, uh, real need for orphans. It was, this, this was the same time, uh, that, uh, the different, uh, like Oliver Twist was, was written by, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Thank you, Charles Dickens. I knew someone would help me with that. But which, so this is a time when the orphan problem, there's just a huge orphan problem in England. And he began to desire really to do something about it. So he decided to start an orphanage. But he decided that he wasn't going to ask for anyone for money. He was simply going to go to God and pray and ask God 
to bring money that he needed because he knew that God was the father of the fatherless. And he wanted to just showcase how God will take care of his kids, how God will take care of people if you really trust him and you really just expect him to follow through on the promises that he had. And so he would take his knees directly to God. And every year he would just print out, he would publish a just an accounting of what God had done that year and the money that had come through. So people could really see how God was really taking care of them. Now, when he started, there were only about 3,600 orphans that were taken care of in England. And over the course of his life, he personally, through orphanages he started, he, he cared for over 10,000 and made a, just a huge difference in his, his, uh, his environment, his community. Because of his inspiration, there actually, at the end of about 50 years, uh, there was about 100 orphans that were, I'm sorry, 100,000 orphans that were taken care of in England. There were many people who began to really see the need and began to really make a difference. So he made a, he made a huge difference in the way in his world. And what I want to do is I want to look at just a couple of, uh, just a quote uh, from his autobiography. I, I believe this, this part was written when he was in his 70s. And he's kind of reflecting back on things he'd learned about how to walk with God. And so I just want to, it's going to come up on the screen. I just want to read this. He, George Mueller said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned with about was not how I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished. And he says, I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it. Not the simple reading of the word of God so that it passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it, and applying it to our hearts. That, that, was the, that was the secret behind his life. In fact, his, there's so many things he did in his life. But the secret behind his life was that he sought every day to make himself happy in God and to really connect with him and fix his eyes on Jesus. So by fixing our eyes on Jesus and setting him before us, uh, what we can do, what we really need to do is just spend some time with him and listen to what he has to say. And then consider, ponder, and apply it to our lives. And then put that into practice and then just see how things begin. You begin to, the way you live your life begins to line up with the way life really works. And you begin to have some real sense of well-being. And you begin to develop a frame of reference that really lines up with reality. You begin to become convinced that you know that you're on a good path. And that things are ultimately going to go well with you. And that makes all the difference. So, uh, you know, for next steps... You know, some next steps for you, you know, maybe for you just to spend some time each day in the Gospels this week. You know, maybe Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Choose one of those. Spend some time and listen to Jesus and what it is he has to say. And maybe maybe a, maybe a next step for some would be to take something that Jesus has said and really, really ponder it and put it into practice. Find a way to really put it into practice. And maybe God has spoken to you in a different way this morning. But I would just encourage you really to respond to him the way that, the way that he's directed. So with that, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and, and come back up. And if you haven't finished filling out your connection card, now's a good time. You can go ahead and do that. Drop it in the offering when it comes by. And I'm going to just pray for us as we get started to go back to service. Father, I just, uh, God, just very grateful to you. 
uh, just for sending your son. And Jesus, we're very grateful to you that you paved the way to the life you want for us. I pray that each one of us, Father, would find ways this week to really make ourselves happy in you and to really focus on you and to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.